This is I'd Rather Be Right, a podcast about big ideas and better predictions. And dick jokes. Which is why this isn't financial, legal, or even dating advice. We might be rich, successful, and good-looking, but Mark Cuban hates us. So prepare to enjoy the best podcast that only awesome, charming, and attractive people like you listen to. Hello, welcome back to the I'd Rather Be Right podcast with Luke and Nate. It is Thursday, March 31st, 3.04 p.m. local time, Albuquerque, New Mexico. We had to push it today because I could just simply not drag Nathan away from the Las Vegas casinos. And so we had to push the podcast today. He finally got home uh, a lot poorer than he left because he's not great at gambling. He's good at buying cryptocurrencies. So, Nate, how does it feel to show up with less money? Let's fiat. It's it's worthless fiat though. So, would you yeah. really need it? Yeah, I didn't need it to begin with. But wait a minute, it wasn't me that went to Las Vegas. It was you. You were oh, in yeah, Vegas. That was me. <laughs> I was. I forgot to mention it before I left. <laughs> and I was like, oh wait, I have a podcast on Wednesday. Whoops. <laughs> uh, is is that the plan trip that you've owed uh, your your girl for yes. a while? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was our plan trip for her birthday. Uh, we. It was like maybe in January. Sometimes she's like, "What do you want to do for?" My birthday and i was like why don't we go to vegas because i know she's been wanting to go to vegas <laughs> and so it was a great trip yeah very fun uh went to the haunted museum went and saw penn and teller uh drank a lot of alcohol not as much as you might think um pretty good at drinking these days but it was fun yeah <laughs> nice relaxing trip <laughs> pretty tired today but got got home yesterday but no it was a fun trip didn't do any gambling actually zero gambling <laughs> zero gambling but you did drink uh, vodka i saw that I did. That was, yeah, before we were leaving. Yeah, I was trying to get us to the airport super early and the bell uh, person there who who does the bags and uh, get you a card and stuff outside the hotel was like, nah, dude, like you don't need to leave for like another two hours. <laughs> like just <laughs> hang out. He's like, you're going to get through security in like 30 minutes. You're fine. We're like, okay. So we went inside and went to this caviar bar and I just saw they had a vodka flight on there. So I was like, oh, I'll get a vodka flight. Why not? That's not that sounds like a good idea for a, a plane ride. It was disgusting. I don't like vodka at all. But uh, there's only one vodka I've ever found that I really love sipping on, and it was called Black Cow Vodka, and it's out of the UK. Oh. You can really? get it in a few places in the United States, including Maryland. So I might have to drive to Maryland at some point. It's sort of near a friend's house over in Maryland. So next time I go, if I can plan it on the right day and that that liquor store is open, I might spend the extra 20 minutes and go and grab it because I love it. It's really delicious. It's made with the, the water from the Curzon Way of a dairy cow. So you sip on it and it's super oh. creamy. It's just like a creamy mixture. Like, And I also want to make uh, white Russians out of it because I just think they would be like fantastic with this thing. But it's, it's super that delicious. Good. So, and it's not like that artificial, like creamy, like whipped cream stuff. It's like real, just, oh my God, it's really delicious. So that is fantastic. And I've only ever had it once and it was in California. So I would highly recommend oh, that if, if you can ever get it. Yeah, it was at a, but it was at a vodka bar, and that's what it, so I was at okay. a vodka bar on a Hollywood Boulevard somewhere, and I was basically saying like, yeah, I don't really like vodka, I like to sip on because I just like I think it's it's just plain, right? And he goes, I right. can prove you wrong, and he poured me this thing, and I'm just like, okay, that was good. Wow. <laughs> this is the only time, like a long time, I was like, okay, I really ended like really found it worthwhile otherwise i'm just like okay it's like vodka you know that's kind of all the same i'd rather have gins like gins like at least have yeah. some flavor to it yeah well vodka it's all at least in the u.s maybe it's interesting that because that's a uk vodka i know i think in america all vodka has to be triple distilled yeah. uh at minimum and which basically gets rid of any flavors or anything it's almost pure not pure alcohol in the sense of like it's 100 percent alcohol but it's just there's no flavors or any impurities in it. And so it's, I'm very, I'm always very skeptical. Like it all is kind of the same, no matter if it's high end or low end. Uh, but, but that one's from the UK. And, or, and gin said, is basically vodka with juniper berries. That's all it is. Right. So, yeah. But, and I like it, but as long as it has juniper berries, it can have anything else in there too, to be interesting. So that's why there's a lot of different flavors of gin. Um, like they'll have more citrus forward stuff. They'll put some citrus stuff in it or some other herbs and stuff in it, but they have to have juniper berries to be called gin technically. So, huh, so you know. I did not know that. Yeah. But I do love a gin and tonic. Uh, so random facts. my favorite drinks. Yeah. I'd rather be right. <laughs> 
Yeah. We, we don't know a lot, but we know a lot about a few things like vodka alcohol and gin. And not like, oh yeah, like booze. <laughs> We're not experts don't on go. everything. Booze and booze and Bitcoin. Yeah. Booze oh, boobs Bitcoin. as well. Basically yeah. anything with a B. Bling. <laughs> Bling. <laughs> I, I have, I've maintained for a long time that B is the best letter in the alphabet because all my favorite things are like start with a B. Boats. Boobs, butts. Boats. Bow ties. <laughs> Babes. <laughs> Babes. Yeah. It's literally like the world's best letter. I'm sorry, but it is. All uh, the other letters. I'm going to think about that for a long, for a I mean, long time. It doesn't time matter. Now. You call it butts or you, but, but think about boobs. Boobs or breasts. It doesn't matter. Or breasts. Yeah. Bazongas. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter. Uh, bazongas. <laughs> Balloons. But, well, you can call balloon. You can call them balloons. You know. Yep. But oh, I, I, so I, I literally do think B is the best letter in the alphabet. I stayed at the Bellagio. It was <laughs> How about one of the better broads? hotels. Broads. <laughs> How old am I? <laughs> I like <Bitches>. broads. <laughs> Still, and uh, as a term of endearment. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. Or a very uh, misogynistic man. I like the broads. Yeah. I like the broads. <laughs> That's one thing I've never understood. Broad. Like, where does that word come from? I don't know. <laughs> you, you like them thick, broad. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I like broads. Hey, it's not 1950s. No, I like it when they're really broad. I, can't, I like to not be able to see around them. <laughs> so you, and you can't hold one thick, door open for them. You got to hold whoa, them both open for them. What is it? Thick to eyes save lives? Yes. <laughs> I like it. Oh, you know another thing? Uh, boning. That's also there a There you go. Wow. Yeah. Breeding. <laughs> Breeding. Like <laughs> boning. Just saying. With, with my balls. I love it. <laughs> Blowjobs. That starts with kind of a B. That's two words, but. And a lot of people like, you know, baseball. <laughs> I guess. Basketball. Baseball, basketball. All the balls. <laughs> Balls, big great. balls, big balls, big black cock. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> Where's this going? <laughs> yeah, B is really the best letter. <laughs> you might have a, you might have an argument here. <laughs> I'll, I'm gonna do a stand-up set all on that. Yeah, we just come out with a video. Why B is the best letter? <laughs> Yeah, we need to make new uh, YouTube videos anyway. That should be one of ours. Why B is yeah. the best letter? We'll write it out. It'll be a very like we'll make we'll do it like a debate. We're in a debate class, yeah. like, all serious. We make it three hours long, longer than Endgame. Because <laughs> by the deserves. end, we will have convinced you B is the world's world's best letter. Like, does it need to be longer than Endgame? Yes, it does. It deserves <laughs> more attention. <laughs> Than game. Oh my god. If we can't agree on this, we can't agree on anything. <laughs> B is the world's best letter. Bombshell. Part of B. Bombshell. Okay, we're running out of good Bs. But if you guys any other, if you guys have any other good B letters, let us know. Uh, B B words, let us know. Please let us know. I'd like to hear more. Blonde. I'd like you to support my argument that B is the world's <laughs> best letter. Anyway, yeah. Oh, Anyways, big booty great, bitches. Big, Forgot oh, that. There you go. That, that's a alliteration in there, too. I mean, okay. But we should probably we move on. All day. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, anyways, we're we're talking about another our other favorite B word today, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, yeah. And it's been attacked unceremoniously by not a B word, but by an R word and a G word. Maybe two of the worst letters, Ripple and Greenpeace. Everyone and loves Greenpeace. I think there was one other guy. There was the less ceremony, uh, less well known as the Environmental Working Group (EWG). But yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not sure who the who they are. Um, Another environmental group, but we'll get into it. So yeah. I guess. Anyway, you should probably ask me some questions here. And All right. Answer. So um, I think it's called Change the Code campaign. So what is Change the Code, Nathan? Uh, yeah, the Change the Code 
not the climate campaign. Uh, it's a campaign to get Bitcoin to stop using proof of work and instead use proof of stake. Uh, it's being led, as we said, by Greenpeace and the Environmental Working Group. And it's being funded by Chris Larson, who is the co-founder and executive chairman of Ripple, which is a competing cryptocurrency to Bitcoin. The campaign itself has been using mainstream media outlets like Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg, using articles that they wrote to kind of support the argument. In addition, they made a video commercial. Uh, we can play that right now. This is Sweden, one of the leading industrial nations in Western Europe, home to 10 and a half million people and some of the world's great companies. Yet, there is now a cryptocurrency that uses even more energy every year than the entire nation of Sweden. Bitcoin. Bitcoin's wasteful use of energy rivals most mid-sized nations. These gigantic crypto mining operations are sucking up obscene amounts of energy and becoming a major source of climate change and global pollution. Scientists estimate that if Bitcoin becomes widely adopted, the emissions alone could push the planet past a catastrophic 2 degree centigrade threshold that would cause runaway climate change. It all comes from something called proof of work, a complex and outdated verification system that requires a massive number of computers using enormous amounts of energy from coal, fossil fuel gas, and other polluting sources. Bitcoin's constantly growing mining operations are plunging us towards a global environmental crisis. And the worst part about it all is it can be avoided. By a change to the software code, Bitcoin could virtually eliminate the energy-wasting mining. There are just a few dozen decision makers running and backing Bitcoin's polluting operations who must be persuaded to move Bitcoin to a new software code. Plus innovators like Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk and a bunch of Wall Street banks. The cost to Bitcoin is almost nothing, but the cost to our planet could be devastating. Let's change the code, not the climate. Go to cleanupbitcoin.com. Well, riveting. Um, so there's a lot of uh, misconceptions in there. Um, we're going to talk about some of them. Um, but first, uh, why don't you give us a hypothetical example of what this what this attack on Bitcoin is like and who these people, who they are and what, this is, what them attacking Bitcoin is like if someone um, doesn't know. Okay, so uh, I want to use the example of Linux, but first we need to know what a Linux is, for those that don't know. Linux is a open source operating system. Uh, the two other famous ones are obviously Mac operating system for uh, uh, Mac OS, which is you use if you have a MacBook, which I do, or Windows, which is the number one, probably the most famous one. Um, and Linux is the open source version of it, and it started around the same time as the other operating systems. It's considered a lot better in a lot of the coding community. But the project never took off, partly because it wasn't quite as easy and it didn't come pre-installed and all those other things. So, but let's use, let's, we've got Linux in our mind. It's open source. Everyone can see the code. Everyone can adjust it. Everyone can contribute to it. But now, let's imagine a hypothetical world where Linux had become the extremely dominant operating system instead of Windows. And it used energy to successfully secure the operating system and to democratize it so that no one company could control it. And then Bill Gates, while being pursued by the SEC, decided to fund a campaign to attack the energy uses. Would, my question is, would any publication or person really take the campaign seriously? Because that's exactly what's going on here. It's just the difference is it's Ripple, a private cryptocurrency by a private company who's attacking Bitcoin, one of its very fundamental proponents. Sorry, its very fundamental attributes and trying to get it to change effectively losing its security and its democratization, uh, democratization attributes, which is what's given to it by proof of work. And we'll get into why that is. So that's, that's what I really think this was. And Ripple is being pursued by the SEC currently, which is why we put that in there about Bill Correct. Gates. Yes. Yes, it, it is. And he, you know, Chris Larson said, oh, this isn't being funded by Ripple. He's privately funding it. And I'm not doing this on behalf of the company. <laughs> yeah, bullshit. Like, <laughs> It's the same thing if Bill Gates privately funded it at the same time. You know, of course, it would be in, in support of the thing that's making him rich. Right? Of course. We're trying to make him rich. Yeah. So, where'd you get uh, your money from? Very disingenuous. From Ripple. Um, and there's a little background on Ripple. They, you, they are competing. They work primarily with banks. So it's ironic that the commercial says, oh, all these hedge fund matter and big bank, like Ripple works with banks. Uh, that's that where is their main technology lies to help interbank transfers. 
So they use blank blockchain to do inter intercompany transfers, and then they have this separate cryptocurrency called Ripple, or XRP, I think it's what it's now is called. And they're trying to use that as well, but it actually has nothing to do with the underlying technology they use for the banks. But they were hoping, I believe, their value prop was that, hey, we're doing this all for the big banks. Maybe we can get banks to start using it, and then it will become the dominant currency, so a cryptocurrency. So they definitely had a plan for it. It didn't really work out. They got pursued for basically issuing a not registering and then issuing a security uh namely the the token uh i that is not fully resolved yet so i'm not saying for sure that that's going to happen but that's the situation we're in right now and so and that's that's the major player yeah. and he's the guy who's funding all this and then he got together with these environmental groups who are already predisposed to dislike proof of work uh because of the climate concerns and I, w I, w I want to say we're not going to talk too much about the energy right now, uh, energy usage. We've talked about that other podcasts. We're going to send you links to them. Uh, we talked about it most recently in the one with we had a, my friend Evan Bullock on it. It was a, one of his first questions that he asked us. Yeah, we asked, talked about it one of our first prog podcasts. I'll add links to both of it. But largely, I think these concerns are not valid at all. Uh, but I understand why someone who just heard, hey, consumes a lot of energy would be concerned and not know anything else beyond that. Um, so we'll leave it at that for right now. Right. So for now, the next question we want to tackle is what is proof of work and what is proof of stake? Okay. Um, so they are both consensus, me consensus mechanisms. So within, so the problem with a decentralized blockchain like Bitcoin uh, is that you've got all these computers who've got to agree on rules and then agree what is the next new valid block. And both of them, are consensus mechanisms, mechanisms that we say, okay, that's a valid block. So in the case of Bitcoin, the first miner to solve the really complex uh, mathematical equation, the answer to it, then gets to add all the transactions in that block and create the new block. And all the validator nodes, which I have one over here, very cheap to run, I, I get to say, I get to look at that block and go, yep, that's a valid answer to that question. Okay, that's a valid block, add it. Proof of stake does the same thing, except for the fact it's run by people who have enough money. They become both validators and miners. So instead of just the miner doing one part and the validating node, you got the, they do both together. And the way you do that is you stake money. So basically you own Ethereum already. So I'm using Ethereum as an example. To be clear, Ethereum is still proof of work right now, but it wants to be proof of stake. Um, and they're, they have a planned move to it. So I'm going to use it a lot. But just to understand right now, they're really proof of work. Um, and I'm not sure they'll ever make the actual change, but we'll use Ethereum for the time being. Um, okay, let's assume we got Ethereum proof of stake working. You want to become a validating a, a miner and a validator. You have to stake uh, Ethereum, Ether tokens. And then I think the requirement will be 32 Ether, Ethereum, which I'm not sure what that's worth. About you know, that's worth a little right bit now. more than $100,000 at the current USD uh, price of $3,000 per uh, Ethereum token. And you can... Right now, you can stake your Ethereum, um, but if you don't have 32, you have to join a pool, and then you'll get a fraction of the payout. But yeah, so you need 100,000. So you have to take 100,000 US dollars, give it to Ethereum, essentially, and then you would take your 32 tokens, and then you would stake them, basically, and get paid interest. Okay. And then you get to add... So you get to determine uh, whether or not to add the new block. Why do we have the consensus mechanism in the first place, though? Uh, they print 51% attacks and civil attacks. So civil attack is where basically you would you would fake a bunch of machines and an act as if you had more than 51%. But why would you want more than 51% either in actuality or fake? Because then you could start processing, say, blocks with no um, with no transactions if you want to destroy the Bitcoin itself. Or you could say, hey, I don't want these guys from, I don't know, we'll use Russia as an example going through. So we're just never going to process their transactions and they'll just get stuck there and basically render their Bitcoin useless. Um, but you could also do it against African-Americans if you wanted to. Uh, very common in the United States. We did that where we redlined the banks did. We just didn't let them into the banking system. If you want to do it for gays, trans, whatever, you could do it. Um, so just keep in mind, it wouldn't be just for terrorists or countries you hate, but it could be used for anyone who could take control of it. Uh, and that's why you want to prevent that. So you're looking for a consensus mechanism. The problem is, as we'll see in a little bit, if you're also a validator, if you're a miner and a validator, 
you effectively take control of the answer anyway, and you can run that kind of attack, which is one of the things proof of stakers will say is not true, but as far as I can tell is. Um, so that, that's sort of where we're at, where what is proof of stake and what is proof of work? And I think, oh, actually, why don't you ask the next question? Because we got into it. Yeah, so why do you think proof of work is better than proof of stake? You said it a little bit, but let's expand on it. Yeah, I think it's a fund fundamentally fair. Uh, it doesn't require you rich to determine whose transactions are uh, are valid. Um, not necessarily are paid. So the thing is, if you're a miner and you got somehow got a giant mining pool and got 51%, you could um, you could at least prevent a certain amount of transactions. But again, every you'd have to have substantially more than 51 to really block it forever because occasionally some other guy's going to win and he's going to process the transaction. But the real issue is that you get the validating note. So my validating note over here cost me 150 bucks or so in parts. You can get it for even cheaper if you really want to, rather than, as we said, $100,000 to be both a miner and a validator. And a validator allows you to run the rules. So I get to look at a miner who processes a transaction. And if they don't follow the right rules, I can kick them out. I basically just, what I do is I just don't add that block to the chain. If the block doesn't get added to the chain, it effectively is rendered useless. So I'm looking at not just whether or not they got the correct, um, the correct answer to the, to the mathematical puzzle, but I'm also looking at okay, do they conform to the rest of the rules? Do they have the same block size? Is going to be a very important one, um, but there's a bunch of other ones, right? Are they are they trying to print more Bitcoin than the protocol allows? So, with every currently, what there's a block reward as well as the fees that happen on a block. So if I were a miner and I wanted to try to change a rule, right now it's 6.25 per block. That changes about every four years. It's based on the number of blocks, by the way, but let's say every four years. Um, it reduces by half. But let's say, okay, I wanted to add 12 Bitcoin. I, I solved the crypto Wafford puzzle, and I, and I have the code run that says I'll get 12 Bitcoin. I can look at the rules and go, that violates the rules. This block is out. Right? So that's very important. It allows the code to run. And it's because I'm running the validation. I'm doing the validation as well. And they're doing the mining. So they do the mine. We do the validation. That's the real point. We've separated these two things. Uh, I, I enforce the code. Right? Uh, and, and they have to follow the code. They follow the code and they can play it and they can play in our sandbox all they want. They don't. And they're just out of the, out of the network. All and the you network. vote on the that's new the code. If there's a new proposed code change, it's not the miners voting. I mean, they have nodes as well, I presume, but it's the node operators who vote, not the miners who vote on the code change. Yeah, voting is a little bit weird way to say it, but yes, fundamentally, the, the thing is, I can change my node at mm -hmm. any given time. Um, and I and if I wanted to add, you know, okay, I want twelve Bitcoin per indefinitely per per uh, block. I could do that. I can change that code today, but then I'd be out of the network. And I had to find miners who would want to sign up to my network and play by my rules. And I had to find a whole bunch of people who want my new token, which would be an offshoot of the old token, right? So um, it's called a fork. We, we've seen this before. Right. In the, in the block size war, for example, um, is when we saw it. So um, yeah. tell me more how your node operates as a validator. Okay, so I think I, we kind of hit this already a little more than we meant to. But yes, yeah, the idea is basically a new transaction comes through uh, from a miner. We, I, I prove they solved the cryptographic puzzle. I go through all the rules, make sure they subscribe to all the rules, and I, then I validate the block. And then all the transactions get, uh, get propagated. And then my – so I'm also finding this out through other people in the network who are – propagating to me and then i propagate out as well that this answer has been solution and so like i'm helping also push it out as quickly as possible and part of the reason we have 10 minute block times on average is that it allows time for that copying of code so that the whole network gets it because we have one one literal literal physical time constraint we have is is the speed of light right you can't go faster than the information can travel and then you need time for the computer to do its thing and then, so that's why we have on average 10 minute block times. Now, if for some reason we have half the network ends up with one block and half the network ends up with the other block because of the actual physical constraint. And, you know, let's assume that the answer got solved much quicker and two different ones got answered solved. Then it checks back and it looks for the longest chain and the longest chain becomes a valid chain. 
And all the transactions that didn't take place in the invalid chain gets put back into the mempool to be processed. And so when that commercial that we watched talks about how Bitcoin, in order to change the code on Bitcoin, you only need a couple dozen decision makers and hedge fund managers and Elon Musk and uh, the and Jack Dorsey from Twitter. Uh, was that correct? No, but yes. <laughs> so here, so here's what I would say: they can absolutely change the code. They can run their own miners. They can run their own nodes. They can fork it today. But that wouldn't be considered Bitcoin. It'd become a new Bitcoin hard fork, right? Because it's certainly if it didn't go through, there's a formal process for changing Bitcoin. And even then, if it went through, you know, in the end. So what you're saying, so what you're you know, saying is end, was, I could I go end, online. Here's maybe a, another hypothetical. I can go online, yeah. right? I can get whoever I want. I can get a bunch of people together, not a bunch of people together. I can go online. I can find the text of the Constitution of the United States. I can control C and copy that and paste it into a new Word doc and change it to say whatever I want. And great. Now I have a Constitution of the United States, quote unquote. But if I don't get the American Congress and Senate and the American people to vote and accept that as a new Constitution, it doesn't really matter. It's not the American Constitution because we all consented to that specific document. And just because you can, yeah, change some words or change some code, that doesn't mean the original source has been changed because it would need to be voted on by these consensus mechanisms that you're talking about. Correct. And fundamentally, there's also a formal process for it. It's called a pull request. Mm -hmm. You submit it. It gets accepted. And it's not easy because you have to go through the miner. We've come up with different ways to do this. The miners have to accept it, the node op, but it's really the node operators first who have to kind of agree. It has to be a large enough consensus that we think the enough node operators will change that that will be considered Bitcoin. So something or somewhere up of 90% probably. Um, it has to be really generally accepted because then we can kind of say, okay, that, and it, and if we get to this point, I'll, I'll get to it right now, I guess. Here, here is a spoiler alert. In the end, the market decides. That's the answer. You can fork it and in the end, the market decides. So if you have 90% of node operators, there's a pretty good chance we believe that the market overall was going to decide that's Bitcoin and the other thing is not, the 10%. So if we change it, that's, but that's also true if we keep it the same, right? That, so that's what we're all, all really looking at is who do the, do the node operators largely agree? If they do, okay, then we wait for the miners to signal they're ready for the change and they can change it. So that's – and it's kind of not easy to – because this is a decentralized process and who the heck runs a Bitcoin node? How do you even tell if a Bitcoin node's in favor of it? How do you tell if the community's in favor of it? This is very not easy because it's not a country. It's not really truly voting. So it's sort of a little bit – thing but in the end you run there's two there's two choices a soft fork which would be something that would be compatible backwards and forwards and you could just choose to be part of it or not and this only would happen for certain things certain things would have to be a hard fork for instance changing the amount of bitcoin per block would be a hard fork for sure but other things like if we allow for taproot was a uh, was a soft fork so you didn't necessarily have to sign up for Taproot. It didn't change some of the what we call like the the rules that really truly are mutable. If you change it, you're fundamentally changing Bitcoin. Which uh, Taproot changed just like data size for certain transactions and how you're going to protect the transaction and stuff. So there have been soft forks, but a hard fork, and this would absolutely be a hard fork going from proof of work to proof of stake. There's no way around it. Uh, fundamentally, they can just go ahead and do it. If Chris Larson is so convinced that this is going to be accepted by the market, he should just hard fork it. And if he's not, and he thinks convincing those five or six people, then I guess he should convince those five or six people and hard fork it and prove us that that's all that matters. But I actually don't think Jack Dorsey, Elon Musk, Michael Saylor, Adam into the pot, I don't care who you put pick there, they don't control Bitcoin. It's the node operators in the end. And here's the thing, even if they do, as a person who owns Bitcoin, if they hard fork it, in the end, I own both coins. I can wait for the market to decide. I can hold both of them. If I'm really not sure which one's going to play out, I can hold them both and wait for the market to make a decision. But in the end, the market will decide. And that's all that really matters. And the market is probably best represented. by the And that's a really beautiful thing is you yeah, can sure. put together these propaganda campaigns or maybe marketing campaigns for your new coin, but just do it and uh, find out. And why that is, why we are, feel so strongly in that is this isn't this isn't just an idea, but this has been tested before. Uh, there's something called the block size war 
that happened a number of years ago. There's a there's a book written about it, uh, the block size war, uh, and it was a civil war basically within um, Bitcoin. And so, Nate, why don't you tell us how this relates to the block size war? Maybe give us what the block size war was. So the block size war was about. So there was really concern at the time that Bitcoin wouldn't. Bitcoin's main chain, the base chain that has a 10 minute block times, wouldn't be able to process enough transactions. And so there were, and again, we given that speed limitation problem of the, uh, that we already talked about where you have the speed of light. The solution was like, that uh, was proposed was increasing the size of blocks. So the amount of storage you could put on a block and therefore put a more transactions in the block. So we'd have more process, transactions processed per 10 minute block. And who is they? Because it's not just your, not just Joe Blow, right? So they, um, these were, oh God, I forget his name. Well, who's the main guy? The main guy was one of the early Bitcoin coders who worked very closely with Satoshi yeah. Nakamoto and took over. So, Chris yes, Wright, Wright. I think. Was it Craig Wright? Was it Craig Wright? So Craig Wright, um, and he had, so he had worked closely with Satoshi, but didn't Satoshi, as far as we know, did not know who this person really was. Craig Wright has since claimed that he's the creator of Bitcoin and other things, but fundamentally, these people became the big block group, and they were worried about. Let's give them their best. Uh, I'll give them the best setup that I can. They were worried that if we can't scale this up fast enough, it can't be a usable currency uh, for day-to-day transactions, and they wanted to get ahead of it by increasing the block size. Now, the big blockers. So, so counter to that, the small blockers, Adam Back is a very famous one, uh, a few, few, a few other ones. Um, uh, but their concern was decentralization. So the smaller block size was specifically decided by Satoshi Nakamoto, from what we can tell, based on the idea that he didn't want it, the ledger to become so large that the average person couldn't run a node for relatively cheap. So if it becomes, if it expands too quickly, I can't run it for $150 in parts. Suddenly I have to run a server, right? And that price is again out the small guy. And for for the for this to be a global currency that can be trusted by everyone and that everyone gets free um like treated fairly, you need to be cheap enough that the small guy can run it. And that was the real concern. That it would become centrally it would be all run in Amazon web servers or whatever, or be very big data houses. You'd have a place to attack Bitcoin. You'd also have potential control from the people who ran the validate. Because if I can't check that my transaction's accurate, so here's a good example. You have your hardware wallet. A hardware wallet has to go through a node somewhere. If you have your own node, you can validate the transaction is legit. And it actually went through the main chain and everything like that. But if I have to go trust someone else's node, I have to trust that their information is correct and they're not manipulating it to lie to tell me that, oh, yeah, I have the money when, in fact, they took the money and put it with, put it somewhere else, right? That becomes a real problem. Um, and if I have my own node, I don't have to worry about them. I can verify on my own the transaction went through. I have the money, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have to trust anyone else's on-ramp into the Bitcoin network. And that's what they were concerned about. They're, so they were worried about security. They're worried about decentralization. And finally, this fight went on for a long time. And keep in mind, most of the money and most of the big people, including Coinbase, which is very famous, and uh, Brian Armstrong, the CEO, were in favor of big blocks. They were in favor of more of that. Uh, Blockstream, which was run by Adam Back, was one of the only ones on the other side um, on the small block side. And so they, and, and so it became very easy to stop because fundamentally the node operators just don't have to update. Like, no, I'm not going to change my code. My code stays the same. You want my big, you want Bitcoin on mine. You have to mine on my rules. Right. And so what they did was they split the code. They hard forked it. Bitcoin's big block one, which was Bitcoin cash, uh, has gone to basically zero uh, since then. Well, Bitcoin's sitting at, what, 45842 So the market decided, right? And the market went with the node operators. The average node operator went that way. Most miners went that way because they realized, I don't want to mine something, spend a lot of energy mining something that no one values, right? There was, no, there was like 30-some node operators or something compared to 10,000 at the time or something for the normal Bitcoin. So that's what happened. Uh, and they have pitched it, they being the Ripo guys, the XRP guys, because they're all over Twitter, have pitched it as 
Well, that's proof that all you only need is these couple other guys who held out, Adam Backs of the world, because they're their super rich guys, and you can change the code. No, it proves the opposite. It proves that you only need a few guys to hold out to prevent it. And even more than that, Adam Back could have gone to the big blockers, and in the end, the node operators will still decide who wins. And then we go a little step further, and truthfully, it's the market that decides. And the market is driven by the crazy-ass people like us who run nodes. <laughs> like that's the answer. Like we're the we're the day to day users. We're the ones using it, and and we're the ones who are going to be buying Bitcoin. So, and I would, and so so, in the end, why don't they just fork it and find out if they're right? If they're right, the whole market will switch. I'll start running a node where we have proof of stake, and they'll be right. I guess if that's really what the market sure, wants, I probably the market wants. But to, let's give it a little bit of analogy. Let's say they did do proof of stake how many bitcoin would you need to stake if they took a page out of ethereum made 32 bitcoin that you would need to stake think about how like that you're talking about a right so ethereum's at three grand so you're talking almost a 20x uh investment to stake and so 20 times uh a hundred thousand two million twenty million dollars something like that in order to stake bitcoin maybe they wouldn't go that high but even if they went half of that right so 16 times you're talking let's just go 50,000 you're talking $800,000 to stake bitcoin now what does that does that sound like it favors the little guy to you <laughs> or does it sound like it favors people who have $800,000 plus and i go a step further if the market switches its value to the new guy, the, the new change. And this is, this is one of the concerns of the black size water that was very valid. If the rules can just be changed ad hoc, this is not very good money. It's not money you can rely on. You, you, you want money that you know the rules won't change. Therefore, most people are, who, are own, who are Bitcoin owners already are people who understand that and value that. So they aren't going to be, they're going to more likely to dump the new coin buy the old coin and they're going to still you know and that's where the value is going to be for them so i think people have to understand what it makes good money and one of the things i do believe that makes good money is rules that don't change rules that don't change for anyone they're just the rules that's what makes this a very strong monetary system so that's an underappreciated aspect of this but again i say if they're right hard fork it prove us wrong See if you can get people to jump on. I'm not going to be jumping onto their thing anytime. Maybe I'll hold it for a bit to find out if I'm wrong, but I certainly wouldn't be that long because I don't think you're going to get enough new people to run nodes with the new protocol who want that. And keep in mind, if you can't, you want to have people who need staking because all the people who have the money right now, I've already subscribed to the current regime. You can't hard fork it and not give them their coins. That's the thing. They already got the coins. So I'll just keep my, that's the other thing. I just don't sell my proof, my new proof of stake coins, but other people don't either. And you have no one staking anyway, because we're just like, no, we're not staking. We'll just let this die in a rabbit hole somewhere. Like that's one other way we have. We have a vote just to do nothing, right? With these things. And who's staking these things? One guy, Craig Wright and his group or whatever, the or the, or the Ripple guy, great. No one wants to, a monetary that's system where one point, guy gets to decide problem all the that rules. Bitcoin was created to address. And I, I know it's not one guy, but a powerful entity organization like the Fed, for example. Yeah, gr- yeah, exactly. Who aren't elected? When was the last time you voted for the chairman of the Fed? <laughs> I don't remember that vote. Yes, exactly. I don't remember that one, no. So fundamentally, I just think this is a very interesting attack. But okay. One thing I think we should ask, and I'm going to ask it of myself, and then I'll answer it. Why did Chris Larson, who is a co-founder and executive chairman of Ripple, which is a competing cryptocurrency, decide to spend $5 million on this campaign? I think the answer is, yeah, I think this answer is this is a social attack that he is then hoping he can turn into a regulatory attack and prop up his cryptocurrency using the government to do it. That's my answer. I think that's I think that's why he's doing this. I don't think this is a this is an honest attack on his part. I think Greenpeace it might be, Environmental Working Group it might be. They probably don't understand Bitcoin to first point, 
uh, first place at all. By the way, Greenpeace has been deplatformed from monetary systems, I think, in India, certain places and across the country for sure. Uh, sorry, across the world. So they could use Bitcoin, <laughs> to, but but they don't even understand it. So their problem is – so he's using some useful idiots, as it were, as organizations to make his attack. And the fact that they didn't ask why is this guy doing this and got duped into it makes them look pretty stupid. Right. If they decided but to they do this on their clearly, own. They obviously didn't because they haven't attacked um, Bitcoin before. And furthermore, if you're a Greenpeace or you're for environmental uh, improvement, right, which we're all for, we don't obviously want climate change to happen and burn us all to death. But if you're a Greenpeace, set up a Bitcoin mining operation using purely wind, solar, uh, geothermic, whatever. There's a lot of different ways to do it and generate money that way and use that to fund your campaigns. Because as we know, not a lot of people love Greenpeace. They have uh, had some controversies that people don't necessarily support. And I don't, I, w I don't know about the other ones, the environmental working group, but I don't think Greenpeace has seen the best light anyways. So it's kind of interesting that they're jumping on, they're, they're hitching their ride, so to speak, to this uh, Chris Larson, who is, being, again, being investigated by the SEC, works with the big banks, works with corporate America, who obviously don't care about climate change. They've known about climate change for decades, and they did nothing. And now Greenpeace is working with them. Uh, it's, it's an odd pairing to me. I think you said it perfectly. But they are useful idiots. I would say something else. If Greenpeace decided to mine Bitcoin using clean energy, it would therefore make it more expensive to mine it with any other energy, including bad energy, including what we would consider dirty energy, like coal fire fire plants, right? Because if I were a coal fire miner, like I was a miner using coal fire, fire uh, a coal plant, suddenly I'm not getting as much Bitcoin because sometimes Greenpeace is winning. Uh, and therefore, it becomes more expensive for me to run that. So I think the most effective attack is not try to get into to change the code for all the reasons we just talked about. The most effective way to clean up Bitcoin's proof of work is to get the government to subsidize clean mining initiatives. If the government sub subsidizes that, it gets cheaper for clean energy miners and more expensive for dirty miners. We say, hey, if you're doing a coal-fired fire plant, we're not going to give you a tax incentive, but we'll give you a tax incentive if you're running off of wind, solar, nuclear, even maybe. Um, maybe we'll do give you a tax incentive if you're doing carbon recapture, like sort of like the, capturing the flare gas and stuff, which is part of you know we do want. Unfortunately, whether you guys like it or not, we're going to need some oil around. But there's ways to clean it up that Bitcoin can help do that, and if you can subsidize that or incentivize that, that'll help clean up a lot of the energy. Which is just what brings brings up the point we've talked about before on the other podcast where Bitcoin's not the problem. It's energy use isn't the problem. The way the world produces energy is the problem. So again, just attacking symptoms of the problem, not actually the problem. Stop, get off oil and we wouldn't even be having these conversations. I, it, it, it's quite shocking. Yeah. And I think both of us are forgetting off as quickly as possible. I think the biggest thing is we disagree is what do we do in between now and then, but, and how quickly can we get there? I think is a fundamental question. And I think it'd be a 10 years minimum. And I don't think 10 years is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel oftentimes when someone has a good idea, I'm like, that's great. That'll probably, uh, they'll probably pass that in 50 years. <laughs> the way our government works. Yeah. Yeah. 30 years is going to be about right time. We have not done anything fast. Can you imagine if we had never gone to the moon and we were going to try to make that happen in, in this decade, yeah, you know, whatever yeah. voice in this and decade, we're going to go to the moon. What was that? The speech, the jail and imagine. they did it and they did it. I, I'm just like, I can't imagine doing anything like that. It's like something we've never done before. Right. That seems in this in that case was literally out of this world, right? Uh, and getting that done in a decade, I just don't believe it. Like I'd be like, and that's that's a sad, yeah, a sad <laughs> fact about where we are in this country right now, and the world. Because I'll be fair, I'm not sure any other else could do it. Maybe, maybe there's China, there's a lot maybe. going on with China. China. They're, not, they're, they're, so. they're largely a paper tiger so. as well. <laughs> with some of the things that they do um sometimes they they, they do a lot of vanity yeah. projects you might say we do a lot of vanity projects or maybe we don't do any project we literally can't get funding for any projects at all yeah i don't think we actually in, in yeah. that regard i would say the infrastructure bill the fact that it got through it's a little surprising to me uh but then again we got to the point now we're just going to spend money on anything 
doesn't matter what it is. I think we talked about how little was spent on ports compared to everything else, and it's like that's weird because <laughs> ports are the one area yeah, I said super I important. spent some money on. And and it was like it, it was like some it right. was like a couple like it was like twenty thirty billion or something. Like right. That. Maybe one of the most important places we trade with overseas countries is the ports. <laughs> Look at what happened when the supply, like the supply chain, was strained at the ports. That's why we had shortages because of the ports. <laughs> and they're like, man, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna give uh, we're gonna give Pakistan like a hundred billion dollars. The ports get twenty six billion. That's it. I don't don't quote me on that number. I don't actually know if that was the number, but. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the number was, but I remember just looking at it and being like unimpressed based on the how many trillions of dollars we spent on the I don't know thing. It was like one point something trillion, and I was just like, right. What we need to do, yeah, use put some Bitcoin mining operations at the ports and use the undersea uh, waves to generate the energy. I don't remember what that's called, but that's what the port should be looking at. I can't ever think of it. Yeah, I don't remember right. what that. Though. I don't remember what yeah. the wave. I always is. try I, to I say mean, it. I know what it is, <laughs> it, but I don't I know what it is. Yeah, you put a turbine on the bottom, it's and a, the waves turn and thing. it generates energy. Genius, something like that. Yeah, probably it's got to be a hydro something, but it's not. It's not right. like, but it's not hydroelectric, which I think is generally the wheel, like a water wheel, or, or going through like, um, or, or dropping, mm-hmm. basically just dropping water off of gravity. Right? Is that's usually taking water. Through a dam, right. you're using the yeah, power no, of gravity. Just the waves, beautiful, That's beautiful cool. engineering that no one uses enough of. <laughs> I just, yeah, I mean, yeah, isn't it is. that true? Of a lot of uh, things right now. It's it's unfortunate, but yeah. So again, the problem isn't Bitcoin, uh, and that commercial, uh, not necessarily correct in a lot of things. Um, you can find a lot of us refuting a lot of its claims in our other podcasts. Uh, this was more just, I guess, really talking about what's uh, attacking the authority that these individuals maybe have to attack Bitcoin, which is a rhetoric technique where sometimes you don't have to attack the argument if the people making the argument aren't credible. If you're being attacked by the SEC and you work with the banks, maybe you're not credible. Talk about decentralization and uh, green energy. Okay. I've got one other question, not related to Bitcoin, before we get out of here. I'm just wondering, do you have any hot take oh, man. on um, Will Smith smacking the crap take. out of Chris Rock okay. on the Oscars? Sure, go first. I, I'll, I'll go first. Well, I'll go. I'll go first if you want, because I, I feel like there's one thing that hasn't really been discussed. There's a few things that haven't been really discussed, but I'll talk about one thing that really annoys me a little bit is that we haven't, we haven't been saying who's right under what context and all that stuff. I do wonder. If part of this couldn't be solved, if the Academy decided what the hell the point of the Academy Awards is in the first place. What I mean is, if they don't know what their primary purpose is, is it entertainment for the masses? Or is it to honor people's work? If it's to honor people's work, then the answer is, tell comedians and presenters, you don't insult a guest or their wives. Because it would be really weird to go like the if you were a plumber and you were going to the, you know, we're the best plumber in the DC region <laughs> awards. And then they started insulting your wife. You would think this is a very weird thing to do. Like, you know what I mean? Like any other context, an award ceremony where you're giving someone's work for the best work they've done this year. And you just lay out into, yes, even in comedy context, which by the way, the joke, that's another hot take. I'll give you in a second that the joke wasn't even that good. And that's actually the real problem. <laughs> but uh, but like, if they knew what that was for, if this was really just to honor people's best work, then we just, you shouldn't be insulting people. If it's for the entertainment of the masses, then maybe it's more like a comedy show, and people should enter at their own risk. And if they don't want to have their right. insults said to them in person, they just shouldn't attend the award ceremony, right? But not being clear, it's like trying to serve two masters and not knowing which master is important, like the most more important to the other one. And I do wonder if, yeah, part of it, probably the racing that Richie, Ricky Gervais does is really insulting stuff. But he does it, if I recall, mostly through the Golden mm-hmm. Globes, which has always been more casual, always been more entertainment than it has been a serious award. Um, and I wonder if that context is part of what's going on here. And people, like I saw someone, a very famous blue check mark, who's, you know, 
uh, African-American man, and I forget his name, but but he's, you know, progressive. But he called it a comedy show. And I was like, is it really a comedy show, though? And I think that was part of my, what I realized, that this maybe part of this is just not knowing what the hell this thing is. And if we knew what this thing was, we'd know what the boundaries were, and you could tell people to follow them. Um, whereas, like, I feel like if you enter a comedy show, like you enter a comedy club, and someone insult, and the comedy comedian insults you with an, as an intended joke, right. you're in a comedy you just club. Probably, probably just whatever, ignore it, right? Because it's sort of the nature of a thing. Which is also why I don't get that. I don't particularly worked up about comedy specials where people don't like the jokes in them. I'm like. It's a comedy show. Like, if you don't like the comedy special, just don't turn it on or turn it off. You know, like, you know, if you're already watching, you don't like it, turn it off. But like, that's sort of the nature of when you turn that on. Same thing with watching the walking into a comedy, like a, the comedy store, or a comedy club. But this context, I do wonder what what it really is for. So I think that's one thing. The other thing I would say is, again, I don't think the joke was that good. If the joke had been better, it would be a lot harder to slap him. If the whole crowd is laughing, especially if you can get Jada to laugh at right. it, there's no slap at all. If Jada's laughing, there's no slap at all. But if you get the whole thing just dying of laughter and the only person who's not laughing is Jada, I still don't think there's a slap. The fact that it was – and he goes, over a G.I.A. Jane <laughs> joke? And he goes, yeah, that's actually why you got slapped because it's actually a really lazy joke. It's actually not that funny. I was like, if you had been 10x yeah, funnier, I, I mean, in the he doesn't moment, get slapped. Period. I don't think he wrote that joke. Like, I think I, I weren't they on break and he just walked out and just said something. Yeah. Oh, no. Apparently, it was not in the telephone. Yeah, he just, it, it came in out. the moment, he just not said, the oh, can't wait for G.I. Jane. It's like, it's like he was walking into, you know, because I'm sure he knows them. It was like yeah. when you walk into the into a house party with your buddy. Yeah. And maybe he, he grew his hair, he needs a haircut. And you go, oh, and you just, you know, make some offhanded joke about like, oh, what the 70s call and they want their hairstyle back. Like, Almost just like, hey, how's it going, man? It's been a while. You know, so it's like, it wasn't funny, but I also don't think it was intended for broadcast. And then it turned into the most yeah. viral moment maybe ever. <laughs> like, is that the most viral moment that's ever happened? Because it was everywhere. Yeah. But no, it wasn't yeah. a great joke. I like I like your point about yeah. the Academy Awards doesn't know what they are. Uh, and I would say to that, I agree. And it's, it's a very old thing, right? It's been around for decades. And maybe it used to be. And maybe it used to be more about the award show. Um, but back in the day, right, they obviously are trying to make money off this. That's why it's on TV. And so if you want people who aren't these famous actors to watch it, you need some kind of entertainment value for the people at home so you can sell advertising on it. Um, but that kind of then puts it more in the entertainment because there are other awards shows that you probably never watch uh, ever. There's you know a lot of ESPN award shows uh, that honor athletes that they might be on TV on ESPN, but no one really watches them, and they really are more for uh, whoever is the best athlete or the best MMA journalist or the best basketball personality. These type of deals, and you don't ever hear about things going. And they don't have comedians presenting. Like it's not this show because they're actually there to honor the uh, inductees into the Hall of Fame or, or the or the award winners. Where the Academy Awards. Uh, if they were, yeah, if they were there to actually honor, uh, which is hilarious that Will Smith won the best actor after he slapped, after he slapped Chris Rock, which is amazing. Do, do we need to televise that? Do we need it to be this thing? Do we need Chris Rock to host it? Or do you need a, you know, maybe a more serious person uh, who would stand up there and say, and this now our next winner, you know, has been acting for 50 years, started out in a comedy and now has, uh, you know, came out with this movie that uh, tells the story of these uh, two young black women and how they have gone from, you know, relative obscurity to maybe the best athletes in the world. And they give all the praise to their father. And this actor really brought that to the screen. Right. And that we're here to honor him. Right. And then bring it out and make it a serious thing. So, it almost seems like they're bad YouTubers at this point. Like the people putting on the Academy Awards are trying to do this infotainment type of like thing and just failing at it horribly because you have the biggest egos in the world. And I'm not saying Will Smith doesn't deserve to have a giant ego. He's literally Will Smith. Uh, and you put him in, but then you put Chris Rock, maybe one of the most famous comedians. And he's going to, it's things are going to happen. Uh, I didn't even, but this is, here's a hot take for you. I didn't even know the Academy Awards were on that night. I had no idea. So literally had no idea. <laughs> I mean, I kind of knew, but I was not watching it. So, I mean, I only, 
found out what happened when I was on Twitter and everything. Yeah, crazy. I didn't even understand. Like, I had to take a double take. I'm like, oh, did did you see Will Smith slap Chris Rock? I was like, why did he do that? I'm like, oh, the Academy Awards. I was like, oh, when was that? Like, last night. I was like, what do you mean it was last night? Didn't hear a thing about it. And it looked like the room was smaller and more intimate. It seems like they're shifting <laughs> it a little bit as well. Yeah. I, If I was in charge over there, I would be rethinking some things. Just go to the entertainment route. Go to the entertainment route and then maybe don't even have the stars there or or do something different with it. you know? Or like, this is what would be fun. If it's for entertainment, you still want all of these stars. Why don't, and this would be maybe logistically, I'm not talking about it, but why don't you have Will Smith do a skit or prepare something for the Academy Award instead of standing up there, oh, thanks, right? Do entertain us, you know? Do a monologue, like entertain us and like turn it into much more of a, a variety show perhaps and, and go the entertainment route. I don't know. Maybe only the winners get to, maybe only the winners get to present on stage. There's a lot of different ways they could do. I agree. And there's some stuff going on in Will Smith's life with Jada, as we all know, uh, that, you know, probably, that probably led to this. So uh, no hot takes, but uh, maybe knows. the most viral moment ever. Pretty crazy. I thought one thing I will say, I thought Chris uh, uh, Rock's poise from getting slapped was legendary. I mean, he just got hit and was like, dang, dude. He was like, that's crazy. <laughs> and Well, the other thing is he considered retorting in some way. Yeah. He was like, I could. And he was like, he goes, I could. And he looks and goes, no, never mind. And just... He was about ready to right. like, he was this close to like launching into like a series of jokes that were much more offensive because he literally was like i could he he just, goes, but i mean i love how he literally said that well, I could. Will, he goes, yeah but instead he just says will smith slapped the shit out of me he was that close and i, I kind of i can't wait right. for his like new special because his new special is going to be like 15 minutes of him doing the right. jokes that oh yeah like, i'm sure he will he's gonna it's fill it fast and then he just says that's the greatest night in television history like he just right immediately afterward so good i'll give you one other hot take. I do think this is far worse for not Crooks Rock, but for all the other uh, award winners because all the – Questlove really got screwed because he came right afterwards. But all the other Coda, – like Coda, like they should have been there at the top of their game at that point, and instead they're overshadowed by this thing. And Chris Rock will be fine because he'll get a whole hour out of this if he wants it. You know, He could do a whole one-hour set, set on this. And for him, it's just material. But for like the average – Act like a deaf actor, like that's that's a once in a lifetime thing, where he could mm-hmm. possibly you could possibly parlay this into another uh, another gig, and now they're just not going to talk about it. It's just going to be kind of missed. And I, I would I think if Will Smith is really sorry, he not only owes apologies to Chris Rock and some sort of amends there, but he really owes making amends to those to the See, people. That but he the problem with that, Nate, that had nothing to do with. Any of it. The problem with that, Nate, is those people aren't named Will Smith, so I don't think Will Smith is going to care. I actually, but the thing is, I, he might care because the Academy doesn't know what to do or what not. To he do. already won Best Act. Like what? Like is what? What can they do to him? Take away future awards? What? You know what I mean? It's just like he's already Will Smith. You're not invited next time, Will Smith. There's a limited amount that they can do, but but I do think it hurt. I do think it hurts his career more than people think. Maybe. There's a whole lot of people who are going to hate this guy now if he doesn't do enough to make amends, where his entire brand was built on the fact that people loved him. So I do think, I mean, if you hurt 10%, I mean, I I, I get that argument. That's a huge thing for him. That's a huge, but he, but he could earn, and and he could earn at least half of them back. I think you give people too much credit. Let's put it that way. And he could he and he could and he could solidify. Oh, we really do think he's a nice guy who went yeah. kind of rogue one night day if he handles it well. Like that's the thing. Otherwise, yeah. everyone's like, oh, we just know it's kind of a lie and whatever. We still like your movies and might watch them, but we think you're still thinking. Yeah, we, but we now know you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so it depends on how much he cares, right? I mean, and and I think he does yeah, care I don't, I mean, somewhat. So we'll we'll find out. I was impressed. Here's a hot take. I was impressed with the speed at which he did slap Chris Rock. I mean, he it was it was quick. I, there was no wind up. He just walked up, boom. Like the picture of him, like uh, makes you think there was a lot more wind up than there was. He just walked up, smacked him, and walked away. It was very athletic, is what I will say. That slap was very athletic move. 
Most people can't smack someone like that. He was leaning into it, actually. Chris, like, if you look at him, he was leaning into it, like, putting his head out there, like, bring it. <laughs> Which was like, I was like, wow. No, no, I think he put it, I, I, I don't think he was trying to bring it. I think what he thought was this guy's going to come up and say words to me, and I'll just kind of, I'll lean over and listen to what he's going to say. And then he, yeah. and then he, then he started to realize the hand was coming. Yeah. And he started to move away a little bit and got a, a little bit further away before he got the full slap. Yeah. But if you look at it, I, he was leaning yeah. like someone who's like, "Oh, this guy's going to come over and say something to me." Right. So I'm just going to lean in, like, you're gonna, "No, I don't think say? he expected it." He's going to say no. something, but it was, it was just, I don't know. He, what I'm he didn't expect the hand. It was very athletic. Like, I think that's move. what he was leaning in for. The speed. Sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, who's going to expect Will Smith to slap them at the while you're on stage at the Academy Awards in front of the entire world? <laughs> Like, come on, like that's the worst place to slap somebody. It can be I'm, or maybe the best place. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> if you're Will Smith, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's apparently it's the best place if you're Will Smith. <laughs> yeah. If you're not Will Smith, probably a terrible place to smack someone. Sit, sit back down to but the Will Smith is apparently a fantastic place. You can just sit right back and get your Academy Award. The, true, the world is truly not equal, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, anything nope. else to say, or should we just it's sign unfair. off there? We're all fucked. Uh, nothing to say except for the fact that uh, oh, I do have one thing to say. Chris Larson, you're wrong and a lying bastard. And with that, I hope you all enjoyed it. Please tune in next time. Please like, rate, review, send to your friends, and we will see you next Wednesday for another episode of I'd Rather Be Right. Who's going to be right, us or somebody else? See ya. Thank <music> you.